Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, this month, my wife and I are celebrating our 12th wedding anniversary, so I was looking at some pictures uh, from our wedding from 12 years ago, and I how good I look in that tuxedo from Leon Tailoring. Not just me, but all my groomsmen as well. And so if you got a big formal event or a wedding this fall, or maybe wedding next spring, think about our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy would be happy to see you. I'm happy to make you look as good today as I did 12 years ago. Well... It'll almost look as good as me as 12 years ago. I'm just kidding. So we're going to buy Leon Tailoring. They'll be happy to see you. 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, with midterm elections right around the corner, big question is popped up is what is going to be the role of social media in this upcoming election? Is it good or bad? Uh, what about government regulation? Uh, how do we be smart cons social media consumers? And so with that, we got the social media panel back together. A uh, longtime friend of the program, uh, Aaron Albert, VP of Mark Cuban, uh, Cost Post Drugs. Uh, Chris Spengel, we are Libertarians. And a voice we haven't heard in a while uh, from over in East Central Indiana, Jeremiah Morrill, who runs the Boss Hog and Liberty podcast. So Aaron, Chris, Jeremiah, thank you all very much for being with us. Always good to have all three of you here. Glad hey. to be here. All right, uh, so Aaron, let's Glad just be a part of it. Hey, no problem. So Aaron, let's start with you. Uh, just give our audience what do you think is the state of social media these days? <sighs> well, thank you, Abdul, for having me on the show. I have to give a disclaimer: being the lawyer that I am, my opinions are my opinions alone here, not necessarily those of my employers. But that aside, I think social media, like the rest of the world right now, is kind of a hot mess. If we look at the midterm elections coming up, I'm starting to already see a lot of propaganda out there posted on social media, even down to the simple basic issues right now are being kind of propped up by both sides of the fence when it comes to what's really important to America right now, what's important in the political arena. So there you go. Chris, how would you how would you rate social media these days? Oops, Chris, can you hear me? I'll tell you what, we'll get back to Chris in a sec. Let's yeah. go. Okay. Abdul, sorry, yeah. I was on mute. Abdul, thanks for having me. Uh, I, too, have a disclaimer. As a podcaster, my opinions are all correct, and they're the only valid ones, <laughs> which is really the state <laughs> of social media. Uh, and I learned it from you, buddy. Um, social media has become intolerable, terrible, <laughs> and just not an appropriate place to discuss uh, anything regarding politics, religion, or the liberal arts, which is why social media, specifically Facebook and Instagram, have recently made a change to favor reels and short-form video because they don't want you reading your friends' and family's opinions anymore. I currently am just getting off of a ban for 24 hours for a direct message I sent of a meme of Clorox Chewable back in 2020. Um, so not only can you not discuss politics without it turning into a, a dumpster fire. You also can't have any fun. Jeremiah, what are your thoughts on the, the, the world of social media these days? How's, how's it, how's it looking? Uh, it's great to be uh, great to be a part of the show. Abdul. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, yeah. Social media has changed in, you know, I, I, Facebook reminds me that I've been on, on, on the platform for 13 years. So I get to see how stupid I was in 2009 and it hasn't gotten much better since then. But I think everybody else has gotten stupid, too. You know, for a while, Facebook tried to put everybody in groups and said, hey, you guys talk to each other here. And it was great for building communities and folks coming together. And over the last couple of years, as, as Chris said, you've seen, you know, the, the commentary of the past is getting sanctioned and getting people in trouble and, and getting you banned. Uh, and at this point, you have to use social media just as a tool for yourself and you know, yeah, you might use it to, to post some family pictures or a trip you've taken, but 
you're not winning a whole lot of hearts and minds politically on on Facebook anymore, or even Twitter. You find you find small tribes, but it's not it's not where you're effective. Aaron, that brings up an interesting question. When did so? How did social media evolve from a from a sort of a group friendship sort of thing to sort of sort of sort of vitriol, or is it just human nature? Well, I think it's multifactorial. It's not just one thing. I mean, look what we've been through as a country in the last couple of years. We've had a pandemic. Globally, we've had war again. Uh, there's a lot of issues around jobs and people, you know, quietly quitting to rotating to a different employer. There's just been a lot of chaos in the world. And unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know how you want to look at it, that has bled into the general milieu of social media and what we're talking about. It's simply a relic of what's going on globally. And Chris, uh, Aaron brings up an interesting point. Is social media uh, just sort of a, a reflection of the people who use it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that. I mean, it, it sort of leads into your first question, and um, it was in The Atlantic, uh, the researcher who just wrote a great article with the title Babylon. It talked about when social media switched from being about friends and family to something else. And it really was the like button, the share button, the follow button, and all of those different metrics. And it really turned the platforms into a performative thing as opposed to a friends and family, uh, you know, aspect. You know, I've, I've built my podcast career on social media, thankfully, um, and it's given me a lot of great opportunities but there's a lot of drawbacks to it too. There's just the addiction aspect of it and the attention seeking aspect of it that really fuels people. Um, I heard one, one commentator say it's like being in one giant cocaine party and everybody ran out of cocaine be and now their dopamine is dropping and everyone's angry all of the time. And I really do think there's an aspect of the way that it's designed that kind of drives people crazy and act in a way that they might not otherwise if they were face-to-face. -face. If you're on Twitter, the world is ending, the Constitution is dead, there's nothing valuable in this world today, but, you know, as I walk down my street here in Fall Creek Place and talk to my neighbors, it's a totally different feeling. And that brings up an interesting question, uh, uh, Jeremiah. Let me ask you, uh, is social media a, a real reflection of society or just a distorted mirror image? I think that it's a, it shows the worst sides of us. But it's also, and I'm talking hyper locally. It's a way for people to to actually connect with each other. And if they don't see something that's right, then they can fix it. So I've seen countless local fundraisers for hey, you know, somebody has cancer, somebody's somebody's sick in the hospital. We, you know, you do a local gun GoFundMe or just passing the hat or money coming through on Venmo, and it you can still build a local community uh, on social media, but it. You can you can go down some horrible rabbit holes as well, and I think we've had to learn over the last couple of years is that if it's too much, if the people that are too toxic, you just you just have to get away. You, you don't necessarily have to close your account, but you have to leave some groups or unfriend some people or mute some people and take control over it for yourself. And Aaron, you you would think that that would be the sort of solution if you, if you think social media is too toxic. Hey, just turn it off for a little bit, and then come back later. Yeah, in fact, a lot of the younger generations are leaving social media altogether and just taking what they, you know, term as a break from it. Um, although I have to go back to Chris Spangle's comment about 
cocaine party. As a pharmacist, I find that very disturbing. <laughs> but nonetheless, I really do think it is an accelerant. Social media kind of amplifies the angst of the country right now, or in some instances, positive things. Again, full disclosure, I work for Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drugs. And right now on Twitter, of course, Mr. Cuban is there. And we're getting a lot of love for the work that we're doing and keeping pharmaceuticals low cost. So I think it could go either way. It could be a very extreme in a positive way, but very extreme in a negative way. Our guests on the program today are Aaron Albert, uh, VP for Mark Cuban Cost Drug, Cost Plus, Cost Post Drugs, Chris Spangle, We Are Libertarians, and Jeremiah Morrell, Boss Hog of Liberty. With the midterm elections right around the corner, I thought I'd get some members of the social media band back together just to sort of talk about uh, social media and its impact or the role it'll play uh, in the upcoming elections. Uh, so let me ask you, uh, Chris, we'll start with you, Mr. We Are Libertarians. Uh, what role is social media playing in the midterm elections, good, bad, or indifferent? Well, if you're a campaign... I don't even know how effective door knocking is. If you're running a congressional campaign, it's not all that effective. So you're not going to do a lot of that. There's really only one option you have in getting your message out, and it's digital advertising. And it's incredibly important. I mean, when you talk to campaign consultants, it's all that matters is how much they can uh, advertise specifically on social media. Personally, I don't get it. I don't see a lot of campaign ads, but apparently it's the most effective way that a lot of campaigns are getting their message out. They're certainly not talking to the media. If you talk to anybody, uh, you know, you being the dean of state house reporters, despite what some people say, know this better than anybody. Uh, it's really hard to get candidates to talk to you. They're not filling out the surveys like they did 10 years ago. They're not showing up for, you know, the editorial boards, especially Republicans. And they're just relying uh, simply on getting their message out through digital advertising. And I think that's a really poor way to run uh, Republican democracy. You really need to have people out there being pushed and asking questions. And, and it just sort of perpetuates the system that we have, which is we're just voting for the party. Uh, like a parliamentary system as opposed to individuals. Jeremiah, uh, let me ask you, because uh, you, do, you do the podcast, Boss Hog Liberty, you have a lot of candidates come through. Have you found it harder, more difficult to get candidates to come in and talk to you folks uh, because they're like, hey, you know what, Jeremiah, no offense, but we can, we can reach our audience through social media, no, no filter, we can get our message out, so thanks for playing, but we're, we're, we're good. Yeah, 100%. It's, I've seen, we've done this show since 2017. We're now five years into the, you know, into doing these candidate series episodes in the primary and in the fall. It was like pulling teeth trying to get candidates on through the primary process. And in the general election, it's, it's not been a whole lot easier. You know, there's a, there's a reality that, that candidates realize that, hey, the level, the playing field is so unlevel in their favor if you're in the in the party that has the voter registration dominance in a community like Henry County where we're based, where 65 to 70 percent of the people are going to just generically pull in our ballot. The only thing they can do by speaking to the media and to actually get out there and talk to voters is to is to is to go the wrong direction. So we've seen it from Greg Pence when he when he ran for Congress the first time to other local candidates in in the years since then. And honestly, even saw it with Mike Pence when he was running for governor. Uh, Sometimes they, they look at the board and say, I've got such numbers, I'm just going to stay quiet. And, you know, we have a platform here where we really try to encourage folks to come in and talk and sit down. And we've never cost anybody their job. And we've, we've had very productive conversations and everybody leaves as friends. Uh, 
But it takes some time to convince candidates of that. Uh, Aaron, let me get your thoughts on that. Uh, has social media made it easier, more difficult for, for candidates, for, for media folks uh, to talk to candidates, or for that matter, political advertising altogether? Uh, I think it gets all of that gets kind of lost in the noise um, for good or for bad. I think if you really pay attention to a candidate and dig in on social media, you can car- start to unearth who that individual is and what they believe in. But sometimes you really have to dig through the noise to get there. And it's kind of hard. It's a challenge now that we're all on social media and everybody's a reporter or a journalist or a keyboard commando is the term I think we've used before. It just makes it 20 times harder because you have to not only see who's giving you that message, but you also have to validate the message. And sometimes that includes validating the source of that message as well. Uh, Chris, let me, let me, uh, and Chris Spangle, uh, Jeremiah Morrell, Aaron Albert, our guests, our social media panel on the program today is talking about social media and its role uh, in the midterm elections. Uh, Chris, I know you, uh, you do a lot of, a lot of podcasts with our good friend, Robert Vane. Uh, you don't do politics per se, but just more sort of uh, straightforward interviews with what the politics uh, obviously attached to it, depending on who you talk to. Uh, have you guys found it easier, more difficult to get guests on the program? Or once again, or is it about those personal relationships that you have to build over time? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the Leaders and Legends podcast with Robert Vane, and, and a lot of it is exit interviews. Like, we just talked to John Gregg. John Gregg's not running for anything, nor does he plan to run for anything. You know, and Gregg was very open and honest. Or we've had former state chairs like Mike McDaniel and Robin Winston on together, where they talk about times they made each other mad and how, you know, similar the parties are. Um so it's a little bit of a different animal because you're not talking to people who are in the fight. But we're we're um, going to have Vice President Mike Pence on at some point soon when his autobiography comes out. Well, that's kind of a more challenging interview, right? Like, don't you have to ask him about January 6th and what is he going to say and is he going to answer the questions? And going back to Jeremiah's point, you know, that 2012 campaign, I think, was fundamentally uh, something different in Indiana politics or you had a major party candidate in Mike Pence running for governor that didn't want to talk to the media and just kind of stuck to his sound bites. There's nobody better at sticking to their sound bites than Mike Pence. And a lot of candidates followed suit after his lead uh, because he won. But, you know, the cost of that was when, you know, the, the press release website that the in, in press Indiana that he tried to put out, that bit him in the butt when he was governing. So I, th- I don't think a lot of these candidates really think about how their actions during a campaign and how they treat the pest press during the pests during a campaign will affect them when they're actually governing. And it really bit Mike Pence during RIFRA and other places by having a press team and and a lack of willingness to, to speak to the press. You know, it, it's just it's not good governance. And that's the, really the problem when they won't come on and talk to the media and build relationships. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, you're, like I said, you're out, out, out of Hendry County. Uh, do you find it easier, difficult to get uh, candidates, even though you're in a, in a rural area where the population isn't as sparse per se, uh, want people to, to, to get their message? Do you, do you find it hard to book guests on your podcast? Oh, we find somebody every week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting on 
some of the statewide DNR candidates to join us. We send the invitations out. I sent an invite out to uh, to Tom McDermott's people this week, and we'll see if they if they get back to me or not. Uh, but you know, we've got we've got people coming on every every week, and it's a, it's a good time. You know, I, local sheriff's races, local county council, those folks they generally show up. But once you get to that midline and above, they start to really want to shy away. The state representative seats, the state senate seats. Uh, and once you develop a relationship with somebody, then they'll, sh- you know, they'll be more than happy to sit down and talk, and, the- and you do develop that trust. But so many people that are running for office are also very new at it. You know, if you've got an open seat and they don't have much experience, they're also nervous to get on to get on a podcast, to do a media interview, to do to do something that's broadcast live to live to the internet. Uh, so it's it's understandable. And you know, uh, and if I can take best, a moment to brag on Jeremiah Abdul. Jeremiah's on uh, my podcast network, the We Are Libertarians podcast, our network, Jeremiah. Um, and what Jeremiah's built there in Henry County using Facebook Live is a show that is heard by hundreds of people in the town and gets as much play, I guess you'd say, as the local newspaper. And they've been able to use social media to build a platform that really just informs Henry County and Newcastle in a very um, – informative and fun and friendly way and it's a great example of using podcasting as a way to build something local in a new media environment uh Aaron, let me ask you uh, because one thing i've noticed uh in political advertising these days there's there's been a shift away from from traditional broadcast media uh to cable and for the most part uh to online because the argument is most people are online you know, an hour of the day so if you're going to try to reach somebody in a political campaign, social media or, or online, you, you, you got to have a presence somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And text, too, right? Because we're looking at our phones all day. I think we average on 120, 150 times a day that we're grabbing our phones. And I noticed that in the last major election, was there a lot of texting going on with the, the candidates. I will say, however, I think one huge group, as the only woman here on this conversation that's going to be getting out the vote in a big way in this next election are women. And for all the reasons you can think of, uh, particularly with the Dobbs decision and the fact that Indiana has, you know, restricted abortion to some extent. Again, these are my opinions only, but based upon what I've seen in the national media and other local elections, the GOTV is going to be huge for women this coming election. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.